no, there's nothing wrong with your computer. Uh, there's nothing wrong with your internet or, or this. <coughs> No, there's nothing wrong with your computer. You don't need to adjust anything on your screen. Uh, everything's working fine. Uh, the image is actually dark. And it's dark for a reason. Because scripture says that the world is enshrouded in darkness. And that means that humanity is separated from their creator, the author of life, the creator of light. We've lost touch with our place and purpose, and unseeing, we grope about for a sense of meaning. According to Scripture, our, our thinking is veiled in darkness. Our motives are hidden in darkness. But then God said, let the light shine out of the darkness. And so God sent his light into the world. The light shone in the darkness, and in that light was life. But most people loved the darkness instead of the light. There were some, though, who, who saw the light, and, and they followed the light. They no longer walked in darkness, but they became sons and daughters of light. And the sons and daughters of light were called to let their light shine before men. They reflect the true light that God sent for all people to see. They are the light of the world. As we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a passage of Scripture where Jesus describes the, the kind of influence that we as followers of Jesus are to have on the world. And, and you'll find this passage in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Now, on the one hand, Jesus doesn't call us to, to withdraw from the world and, and leave it, but neither does he call us to attack the world and conquer it. And becoming like the world isn't an option either. Rather, Jesus calls us to be salt and light. Now, he uses both of these in a symbolic way. They, they are metaphors, and, and metaphors that, that the people of his day would have readily understood. Now, light we get. Um, we use it symbolically much the same way today. Uh, salt, too, although salt isn't near as important for us as it was for them. We use it as a seasoning uh, to flavor food. And, and some of us, you know, we have so much salt on our diets, we have to cut down on our salt. But did you know that your body requires salt to live? It is an essential nutrient. And salt was extremely important in the ancient world, not just as a seasoning, but well, it had medical value. It could be used to, to cleanse wounds. I mean, there's a reason why salt hurts when it gets in a wound, but that means it's also doing a job. It was also very important before the age of refrigeration for, for curing and preserving meat. Uh, salt was so valuable that, that a Roman soldier would receive part of their salary as salt. Um, the whole phrase that a lot of person's not worth their salt comes from these days. And so Jesus calls us to be like salt and light. We are to season and preserve. We are to illuminate and shine. We are to engage the world by being change agents that, that permeate the world, that connect with the world, 
and then ultimately transform the world around us. And so here's what Jesus says, beginning with verse 13 of Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, then how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. All right, you can't season your corn on the cob. You can't uh, cleanse a wound. You can't even preserve a piece of meat. It's, it's good for nothing except, he, Jesus says, to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a, a light a lamp and, and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives its light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, both of these word pictures emphasize that well, there's to be a difference between followers of Jesus and the rest of the world, right? The world isn't like us, and we aren't to be like the world. But this difference isn't to be seen by, by withdrawing from the world, by keeping the salt in the salt shaker, if you will, or by hiding our light under a basket. And it isn't to be forced on the world, just like if you take a bright light and shine it right in somebody's eyes, it doesn't help them see better. They can't see a thing. It blinds them. But rather like salting meat or flipping on the light switch in a room, we are to allow our distinctiveness, our flavor, if you will, to permeate and to illuminate the world. We influence the world by allowing the flavor of our lives to season everything and everyone around us. And we change things by allowing the light of our actions to, to brighten all around. Only when salt is mixed in and allowed to infuse its zestfulness does salt fulfill its purpose. Only when light shines where it can be seen does light fulfill its purpose. And only when we get into the world and make a difference do we fulfill our purpose. Christians make little positive difference cloistered in the four walls of their church buildings. We make no difference disconnected and, and disengaged. We also have little positive influence when we go on the attack, when we draw battle lines against the world and we see them as the enemy, right? The world is not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. Understand that difference. We also make a little difference when, when, uh, or let me say this, we make a difference when we get out there in the world and we let our faith season and illuminate the world around us. Now, a couple of years ago, I did a series on evangelism and, and I did a whole sermon about being the salt of the earth. So I don't want to really revisit that material here. So I really want to focus the attention of this message on verses 14 through 16 about being the light of the world. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, a large crowd has, has gathered around Jesus. And so Jesus, he goes up higher on the mountain where he takes a seat and they're spread out below him and they can hear him better. 
But don't forget who his primary audience is. Those that he was teaching directly were his disciples. Matthew 5.1 says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. So we've always kind of assumed that the crowd follows him up the mountain and, and they listen to him. But, but the primary audience he's speaking to is the disciples. So this would have included at least the 12, you know, uh, Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, that bunch. It probably also included at least several of the women who were a regular part of Jesus' followers. And we also know that, that Jesus had more disciples than just the 12. There were others that followed him around and, and were a part of that group. And it is to his followers that Jesus is speaking primarily to here. So by extension, we could also say that he is talking to all who would follow him. Jesus was talking to all who would be kingdom people. And so through the words of Matthew in scripture, Jesus is talking to all of us as Christians. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you. Now, with that in mind, listen to what your Savior says here. You are the light of the world. Um, that's a big deal. Um, this statement should bring us both Oh, great significance, but also tremendous humility. Consider what this means about the significance of our lives. You, you are the light of the world. You, not somebody else, right? Not the president or the governor or the preacher or the missionary or the Sunday school teacher or the small group leader. You are the light of the world. And also notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you are a light, or you're one of the lights. No, what does he say? You are the light. You are the light. There is no other. Right? If the church doesn't shine, no one else will. Let me say that again. If the church doesn't shine, no one else will. This puts us in a very unique position as believers because we are the only lamps from which the light of Jesus shines, right? That light won't come from anyone else. It won't come from the government. It doesn't come from Washington, D.C. It doesn't come from a non-government organization. It won't come from the Peace Corps or the United Nations. It won't come from universities or a scholarly think tank. They won't issue a study that, that reveals the true source of the light. It won't come from scientists or be discovered in a lab, all right? It won't escape from a lab in China. It won't come from multinational global corporations, all right? The light will never be released by Facebook. It'll never be delivered by Amazon or launched into space by Elon Musk. We either shine our lights or the world sits in darkness. But as soon as we realize this, we better also recognize well, the deepest humility because the light that we shine is not our own. Ephesians 5.8 reminds us that we are, the light of the, uh, we are the light of the world. We are light in the Lord, Paul says there. We only reflect the light that has been shown to us. What is that light? Where does it come from? Well, 
Scripture answers that. 1 John 1.5 tells us that God is light. John 1.9 says that Jesus is the true light that gives light to us. In John 8.12, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 4.6 refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as light. All right, Psalm 119.105 says that God's word is like a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So God is light, right? And that light shines through uh, the Father and, and his word that he's revealed to us. It shines through Jesus in, in, in the example that he set for us and what he taught for us. It shines through the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. It's not our light that shines from our lives. So this, this demands a great humility. If it wasn't for the light of Jesus in our lives, we'd have nothing to shine. We'd only be darkness. We are wholly dependent on the light given to us, a received light, a reflected light. If we were to go out into the world all on our own, we'd be walking in darkness ourselves. So we need to have humility here. Now, when we hear Jesus' call to let our light shine, we need to remember where that light comes from. Alexander McLaren, a great Scottish preacher of the 19th century, said, a sunbeam has no more power to shine if it be severed from the sun than a man has to give light in this dark world if he be parted from Jesus Christ. Now, another question that, that we need to answer here is, well, what is the light? Well, light is used as a symbol in Scripture on, on, on several different levels. But, but I think the context here, Jesus answers that question for us. Um, and he answers it for us in verse 16. He says exactly what it is that people see when we let our light shine in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see what? Your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So shining our lights is simply doing good deeds, doing good works. Shining our lights is acting kindly and lovingly. It is selflessly meeting the needs of others. It is doing ministry out in the world. And of course, the ultimate purpose of these good works is not that people will think how good and wonderful we are, but we'll draw them into a relationship with God, and they will see how good and wonderful he is. Right? That's what Jesus says, uh, means when he says, let your light shine uh, before men. And of course, the end result is that they will praise your Father in heaven, which means ultimately they're brought into a relationship with him. That's why they can praise him. There's nothing mysterious or mystical about letting our light shine. It's simply loving people. Now, when we let our light shine, it accomplishes three things. Light serves three purposes. First, light serves as a guide for those who have it. As Jesus says here in verse 15, it gives light to all in the house. So if you have the light, you can see by it. You can see where you are and you can see where you're going. Have you ever tripped your way through a basement, a dark basement, to check your breakers when the power goes out and you didn't have any batteries, the flashlights? I tell you, the younger generations that have always had flashlights on their cell phones 
will never know the joys of that experience. Or have you ever walked through the woods in the dark and you run into branches, you trip over roots, you fall into holes? Remember one time I was on a youth group trip and was going through a, a trail through the woods in the dark and I didn't have a flashlight. Now there were some kids behind me and the girl behind me, she had a flashlight, but I didn't. And so I'm going merrily along down this trail and I didn't stop until the girl behind me screamed, stop. And when I did, all right, I was this close, about that far from a huge spider web that some spider had built across the trail. And this right in front of my nose was the, was the biggest, hairiest spider I had ever seen out in the wild. Um, it was huge. So from that point forward, I let the girl with the flashlight go first. When you have a light, you don't get lost. You can see what you're doing. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he shines a light in our lives so that we can better understand where we are in life and where we're going. Knowing Jesus gives us a greater understanding of life. We are enlightened with a spiritual wisdom that illuminates our decisions. It help, helps us establish godly goals with more than earthly objectives. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the purpose of his own ministry in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1.9 says that God will fill us with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Philemon verse 6 says that we will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Do you hear what these verses are saying? Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That's what the light of Christ gives us. And that light enables us to, to make the right decisions. It helps us to, to know the right things to say. It empowers us to, to do the right thing, the best thing in all sorts of situations. We have a light to guide us. And here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we're the ones with the flashlight. Light serves as a guide for those who have it. Secondly, light serves as a beacon for those who want it. Now, out in the world, there are many who are lost in the darkness, and they either don't know it or they don't care. But there are some who are lost, and they know it. Or once they figure out they're lost, they're looking for the light. They're looking for a way out. They want a guide. They want to see the way home. And for those who are spiritually searching, for those who are seeking God, who are seeking the truth, our light, the light of our good deeds, our love, our ministry, serves as a beacon that draws them home. The Apostle Paul saw his own ministry as a beacon. In Acts 13, verse 47, he says this, this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So 
Paul's whole ministry was a beacon to draw Gentiles to Jesus. Now go back to our youth group, uh, that group of people walking through the woods at night with flashlights illuminating their way. Now picture somebody lost in the woods, right? They are out there in the trees all alone at night. Now, they don't know where they're going. Um, They don't know where they are for sure, but they want a way back. But meanwhile, they're, they're bumbling into branches. They're stumbling over roots. But then they see something in the distance. They see just a flicker of light peeking through the, the leaves. And so they change direction, and they begin to head toward that flicker of light. Now, as long as they're looking at that flicker of light, they catch little glimpses of well, the silhouettes of trees and and limbs and and other obstacles, and they're better able to to avoid them in time. And as they get closer to the light, not only can they see better, but they begin to hear voices. And so soon they yell out, and, and, and the other people direct them to their path and the guidance of the light, right? The light is a beacon that draws them home. So for those who don't have the light, those who who aren't followers of Christ, but they're spiritually searching, they are longing for the truth, our lives act as beacons, showing them the way to Jesus. By looking at our lives, they know that they are in the dark, but they can also see a way to the light. As Jesus says here in verse 14, we're like a city on a hill. The lights of a city can be seen from far away, miles away. So you might still be far out in the country of a dark night, but up ahead on the hill, many miles away, you can see the lights of the city. You know which way to go. Now, this would be a much more vivid picture in Jesus' day because they didn't have highways marked with road signs and reflective paint, all right? They didn't have headlights on their donkeys, all right? So in between the cities with their their lanterns and, and, and fires, it would be pitch black, nothing. It's kind of like when I was a kid and we would go camping in Minnesota and we'd always go fishing at dusk. Uh, the, the fish really were biting when the sun went down, which means we are always heading back to campground in the dark. And if it was the time of the month where there was no moon and it was a cloudy day, I, it could get really dark. And, and you couldn't tell the difference between the water, the shore, the sky. It would just all mix together. And the only way we knew the way back to camp was that on our dock was a yellow light bulb. That's all you had to go by. But that yellow light stood out as a beacon. Just point your boat at the light and take her in. Well, that's what we are as a church. All right? That's who we are as Christians. We provide a light to guide people in. So light serves as a guide for those who have it. It serves as a beacon for those who want it. But thirdly, light serves as a warning for those who don't have it. I think of a lighthouse perched up on a cliff, uh, shining out its warning uh, from its rocky uh, precipice, you know, danger, rocks ahead. Think of a flashing red light on the road, danger ahead. 
It keeps people from going the wrong way. And I think the church and Christians, we serve a similar function in the dark world. The light of our good deeds, right? our, 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 our morality, our loving behavior helps keep the darkness at bay. It lets people know that, hey, there's something wrong here. Something's not right. John 3.20 and Ephesians 5.11 both say that light exposes the deeds of darkness. 1 Corinthians 4.5 says that God's light exposes the motives of men's hearts. So there are things that people do that in the dark, they get away with it. It seems perfectly fine. But then the light of our warning, the light that shines from our lives in the dark world raises an alarm. That, that something is wrong. Now, let me be clear here. It's not our voices of judgment that do this. It's not our wagging fingers of self-righteous condemnation. It's not the angry memes that we post online. That's not it. The light comes from the way we live, right? And from our love. And of course, then the truth coupled with that. And even one light in a very dark place can have a powerful impact over the powers of darkness. One of the basic principles of, of crime prevention is, is lighting, right? Lighting parking lots and illuminating the dark corners discourages criminals. Right? People behave differently in the light than they do in the dark. And I think the same thing is true of spiritual light. Again, the great Scottish preacher Alexander, Mac Alexander McLaren says, the presence of a good man hinders the devil from having elbow room to do his work. I really like that. And so our light serves as a warning to those who don't have it. But after calling us to shine our lights, Jesus then tells us not to hide our lights. Well, how do we hide our lights? Well, the first way is simply to not have a light. To not let our light shine, we, we extinguish our lights. Jesus is very clear that the way that we let our light shine in this world is through our good deeds. But what happens if our lights don't have any good deeds? What happens when our lives are no different from the, the people of the world? You see, too often as Christians, our words say one thing, but our actions say something different. Right? And that kind of hypocrisy doesn't provide light for anyone. And there's a real problem in the modern church, especially in, in North America. It looks too much like the world. And Josh McDowell and George Barna and so many others have done studies that have found that in most areas of our of life, by most standards of measure, there is very little discernible difference. There's no statistical difference between the way Christians live their lives and the way non-Christians live their lives, all right? We get divorced just as much as the rest of the world, all right? We uh, lie just as much as, as the rest of the world. We get trapped in sexual sin just as much as the rest of the world. We look at porn just as much of, as the rest of the world. We cheat in school just as much as the rest of the world. We compromise our business ethics just as much as the world. And when we don't live any differently, we 
have no light. We've lost our saltiness. A second way that we hide our lights is that we, well, we hide it where no one can see it. Jesus says in verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Right? Now, his analogy is obvious. What kind of idiot would, would light a lamp and then hide it? But I think that's exactly what the church does. As long as all of our ministry is done within the walls of the church, our light's hidden. Right? Ministry can't be just church people doing church things for other church people. Salt in the salt shaker doesn't flavor anything. We light our lights by being out there. We are salt when we, we rub ourselves into the world and, and we flavor the world around us. This passage is, is one of the main reasons why I think as a church, we need to have ministry focused out in the world. And, and I really challenge believers that you need to have at least two ministries, one ministry for the church and one ministry in the world. So you teach a Sunday school class, and then you volunteer as a little league coach. All right. You, you, you do something at the church. You help in the nursery. You sing on the worship team. You do something like that. But then you're helping at the food pantry. You're, you're serving the, the, the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. Or you're doing something out in the community to let your light shine out there. We don't do any good just to shine the light amongst ourselves. We need to be doing good deeds out in the world so that people can see the light. And think about this, right? Men, the way you love your wives. Women, the way you love your husbands. That should be a shining light. The way that we parent our children and love our kids is a shining light. And kids, younger people, and even those of us as adults, the way that we honor our parents should be a shining light. The way we work at our jobs, the way we conduct ourselves at school should be a shining light. The way we act on the golf course or on the lake should be a shining light. Even one light shining in a dark place can make a difference. I remember reading years ago about some experiments conducted by the army back in World War II, and they found that that even one soldier lighting a cigarette could be seen by a bomber at altitude. Right? One light makes a difference. But think of the difference we could make if we all shine our lights. You know, when I was growing up and you would go to a concert and you would get to that song and the first person brings out their lighter, and then pretty soon you look around and there's 30,000 lighters. Today, it happens with cell phones. In fact, I've been in concerts where the stadium is filled and the performer on the stage has all the stage lights turned off, all the stadium lights turned off, and then they have all the fans in the stadium turn on their cell phone lights, and it lights up the whole stadium. It is amazing. Well, what if we as Christians think of how we could light up our whole world? If we would just let our light shine and we could drive the darkness away. 